morning, church. I'm so glad to be with you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Katie Gale. I'm one of the pastors here at Wellspring. Uh, because I do public speaking kind of regularly, I'm often asked, do I get nervous to being up here? And I always say, no, it's great. I love it. Throw me up here. Although I was kind of nervous this morning. Um, but as I've been thinking about it this week, I realized that I do actually have one public speaking experience in my life that haunts me. Like it's the thing that nightmares are made of. Uh, it's been about 20 years and I still think about this moment. So I was uh, one of the valedictorians for my high school class. We had several for some reason. Okay, thank you, I don't know. It was a long time ago. But I was asked to do the speech at graduation and it was at Red Rocks Amphitheater. So I spent weeks preparing my speech. Um, we had to have it memorized. We weren't allowed to have notes, which now, for those of you that know me, my notes are like my security blanket. Um, but I prepared and I prepared and prepared. And our, my principal um, had this saying, and every day we are greeted over the intercom with, keep your eyes on the prize. So that's how I decided I was going to start my speech to my fellow classmates. Keep your eyes on the prize. So the day came for graduation. I walked out on the stage of Red Rocks Amphitheater. It's a huge stage. And you're looking up at thousands of people who are looking at you. And I said with confidence, keep your eyes on the prize. And then my mind went blank. I completely forgot what I was supposed to say next. And I was just frozen in terror for what felt like an eternity. It was probably five seconds, but I'm telling you, it felt like an eternity that I didn't know what to do. And I'm just haunted by that moment of being frozen in terror. And eventually I remembered the next part of my speech. I got through it. I don't think anyone realized that I was almost completely humiliated in this moment, but I have remembered it. It has stuck with me. I have seriously had nightmares about that moment throughout the years, especially when I'm gonna like do something big and then it comes back. Like, oh, remember that moment when you almost failed. Um, and you know, the thing is, I don't remember anything else about that speech except for keep your eyes on the prize. That's the only thing that I remember. And as I've reflected on that memory this week, uh, I realized that as much as I wish I could forget that moment, like why does it come back up? I need a counselor to like help remove it from my brain. Um, but I've actually realized it's a gift. It's a gift. Not because I was almost publicly humiliated and my greatest fear of failure almost came to be in front of thousands of people. No, I, I should actually be grateful that I'm haunted by that sentence. Keep your eyes on the prize. That's what I've remembered because that actually should be what motivates us. We should ask ourselves, what prize are we keeping our eyes focused on? Now, my principal was just hoping people would get to graduation. That's what she was meaning. So that's a really narrow prize. So we, get, we need to zoom out. And we need to say, what are we keeping our eyes on? What is our vision for life? What's, what are we straining towards? What are we using our time and our energy and our resources towards? That's the prize we need to keep our eyes on. And it's not just my high school principal that felt that way. That's actually what Paul is going to tell us today in our passage, to keep our eyes on the prize. See, Paul lays out two prizes in front of us, to know Christ or to know the world. And he lays them before us and he says, what are you going to choose? Now, before we jump into our passage today, let's just pray. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here with us. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you today, Lord. You would be so close to us. Guide us closer to you today, we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, our passage today, we're going to begin in verse 15 of Philippians 3. And in my Bible, probably in your Bible as well, there's a break with a heading between verses 1 through 14 and 15 to 21. So it kind of makes you think these are two different thoughts. But in the original manuscript, there's no break there. This is just one continuous thought that Paul is sharing with his readers. And so today's sermon is going to be a continuation of Daniel's sermon from last week. So if you didn't get a chance to hear that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it's really stayed with me. Paul lived his life to know Christ. Nothing else mattered to him. To know Christ in the joys and to know Christ in the suffering. That's why Paul could say in verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Paul kept his eyes on the prize. My high school principal would have been so proud of him. And what was Paul's prize? Christ. To know Christ and to be known by Christ. That was Paul's end-all, be-all vision for his life. He considered everything else, his education, his pedigree, his reputation, his accomplishments. Everything else was garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Now maybe, as we pause here and take an honest moment of reflection, we might admit that in the secret, cynical places of our hearts, I have those places, maybe you do as well. We might admit that we think, well, that's great for Paul. But Paul was like a super Christian who had this crazy encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. Jesus audibly spoke to him. He was blinded. Then he received a healing and he had miracles performed for him. He performed miracles. He was totally transformed. He'd be going around and he'd hear the Holy Spirit say, go this way or don't go this way. So of course Paul could say, my vision for my life is Christ, because that's what he had. But that was Paul. And Paul's life feels really removed from my life. I want Christ, but I also have my feet firmly planted in this world, and I have to contend with paying bills and raising kids and building a life and dealing with pressures and anxieties and comparisons and expectations. So my vision for my life might just need to be a little bit more complex than Paul's because I'm dealing with this complex world that we live in. But church, Paul was not a super Christian. Paul was just a man redeemed and captured by the love of Christ. And like us, in his life, he was also presented with different visions, different prizes. He was presented with temptations to live for this world or to live for the things of God. And he was overwhelmed by the love of Christ above all else. That's why he could say he has this vision to press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called him heavenward in Christ Jesus, to win the prize of Christ. He was captured by the overwhelming love of Jesus. And now Paul turns to his readers, he turns to us, and he tells us that we too have a choice. And so he says, I'm gonna lay them out for you. What are you going to choose? So let's pick up in verse 15, if you have your Bibles, or in Philippians 3. Paul says, All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of life. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So all of us should take such a view of life. So it's not just for Paul, it's for us as well. And Paul says, he gives us this invitation. 
let us live up to what we have already attained. And what have we already attained? Nothing short of adoption and redemption by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That when we are in Christ, we are known, loved, redeemed, restored, made righteous, given the promise of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living and active in you. You have that promise, that seal. You've been given the promise of eternal life. Let us live up to that, to what we have already attained. Nothing else can come close to that prize. Nothing else can compare with knowing Christ. And Paul says, don't just take my word for it. Look at others who model it and keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Imitate others who are captured by the gospel, whose eyes are on Christ. Now, there are times, if we're honest, when our focus and resolve on following Christ gets tired and distracted. And so I ask us, in those times, do we have people that we can look to? People that inspire us as they live out their lives for Jesus? Do you have people that can come alongside you when you're struggling or doubting in your faith and you can have real faith conversations, who can hold you up? Do you have partners in the gospel who model wholehearted devotion to Jesus? Paul says, keep your eyes on those who live like that. I've been here at Wellspring on staff about 13 years, and over the years I've heard a lot of requests for mentors or disciplers or gospel friends, and that's so great. And you know what I've seen? This is true. I've seen God is faithful to provide that for you if you ask him. Now, it might take time. You might have to be patient. But God is faithful to provide that. So ask him. If you need those people in your life, ask him to bring them into your life. Keep your eyes on those who live for Christ. Maybe that is a mentor or a friend you already have or an author you admire, a parent, a grandparent, Find someone who is sold out for this vision of life, whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, because as you look to them, you'll lift your gaze to Christ. Now, friends, it is wonderful. I'm grateful for the partners in the gospel, mentors in the gospel in my life. But hear me, it's not enough to just get close to someone that knows Jesus. It's not enough to just be in someone else's shadow. It's meant for all of us. Paul says, all of us who are mature should take this same view of life, that Christ is the prize. It's interesting that Paul uses the word mature, because maybe, like me, you might think, okay, he's talking about like some super Christian who's a Bible scholar, a church planter, who's followed, you know, followed Jesus for 50 years. That must be what he means by mature. But actually, he uses the same word in verse 12 when he says, not that I have already attained this or have already arrived at my goal. I have not already matured into my goal. So the word mature is not reserved for someone who's further along, who seems more spiritual, who's signed up for every formation class. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying those who are mature are like him who take a humble position that they haven't arrived yet, that they have a genuine humility, but also a wholehearted commitment to strain toward the goal of knowing Christ. So that means that can be all of us, all of us who've encountered Christ's redeeming work, who long to know Jesus, that makes you mature. And Paul's saying, so you also can have this vision for life that to know Christ is better than anything. Nothing else compares. And yet Paul has this interesting sentence in verse 15. He says, but if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. Why do you think he says that? 
He's just laid out his vision, you know, that the prize is to, to know Christ, to strive towards that. But if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. Well, it's probably because there were people that thought differently than Paul, that thought there was an alternative vision for their lives, a, a different prize that they should be straining towards. And Paul actually addresses two different groups of people in Philippians 3. In the beginning of the chapter, and Daniel touched on this last week, he talks to people who knew Christ, but also sought to earn their righteousness through the law. So legalism was their vision for life. And then in, a, in a, the next verse, he's gonna look at people who knew Christ, but who also wanted to dabble in the things of this world. They wanted what the world had to offer, and they were gonna just tack on Jesus. So it was this permissive lifestyle that they were going after. And Paul's saying in, in whatever it is, in legalism, and permissiveness, wherever it is, he has confidence that God will make clear to you what he wants for your life. Because there is a choice in front of us between a Christ-centered life and a self-centered life. And so Paul's gonna present that. We're gonna pick up in verse 18. He says, For as I have, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. With tears in his eyes, Paul declares, there are some who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And these enemies, he's not talking about pagans who have a different religion or the, or the Romans who are persecuting the church. He's actually talking about fellow Christians who at one point professed a belief in Jesus but who've now been captured by a different vision. There's something else that their hearts are longing for. Now their appetites, their constant need for the things of this world to satisfy them, to, to gratify their own desires, that's become their God. That's become their prize. As Matt Ch Chandler says about this, he says, they do what they want, when they want, how they want. Whatever they feel like doing, whatever feels good, whatever satisfies temporarily is what they seek total satisfaction in. Well, that hits a little close to home, doesn't it? I just want to live my life the way that I want to live it. And Paul uses strong language here. With real grief, he uses strong language. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Instead of fixing their eyes on Jesus, their minds are pulled down and stuck on earthly things. And Paul contrasts two different visions for life here. Those who live or walk in the way he does, which is to know Christ as the prize, or those who live or walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He uses the same verb, to walk, to show that there are two choices, two contrasting choices. We want to think that we can mesh them, but he's actually saying, no, at some point there's a fork in the road and you have to choose. As one scholar says, we must make a radical choice between two different ways to live, the Christ-centered life or the self-centered life. And Jesus says something similar in our gospel passage today in Matthew 6. He says it three different ways. He says, where, where, where are you building your treasure? On earth or in heaven? What are your eyes straining to see, light or darkness? What master are you trying to serve, God or money? You're either devoted to God or you're devoted to the things of this world. God presents a similar choice to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, they, right before they're about to enter the promised land, they've just wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They're so close. They just want to get to the promised land. God presents them this choice. He says, I set before you life and death, 
Life being knowing and following and worshiping and obeying Yahweh, God, and death is worshiping, obeying, following idols. He says, I set before you life or death. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. Wellspring, choose life. I just want to say that knowing Christ is so sweet. Knowing Christ and walking with him is the greatest thing in my life. Nothing else can compare. The benefit of preparing a sermon is that you have to spend a lot of time reflecting on a passage and allowing that word to permeate your heart. It's just one of the greatest things about getting to preach a sermon. But it means that I've spent a lot of time thinking about this passage, thinking about the choices in front of us. What are we keeping, the prize we're keeping our eyes on? The choices between to live for Christ or to live for the things of this world. And I want to tell you that the allure of this world is so strong. The allure of the desire to have it all, to live good and comfortable lives, to seek our satisfaction in things and relationships and pleasures, to think that if I just had more money or if I just had that newest thing or if I just looked this way or if I had a better job or if I had better, more behaved children, you know, whatever it is, that my life would be easier and my needs and my yearnings would be satisfied. And church, I'm not just saying this at you, I'm saying it with you, because this is a very strong temptation for me, and God in his kindness has really convicted me this week. Oh, that's one of the things, if you're going to say something publicly, God always makes sure it matters to you privately. So God has convicted me this week, because we all have this temptation, a strong pull from the world to make us think that this other vision where our minds are set on earthly things, to make us think that that's what's important, And then that is what will give us purpose and satisfaction in life. But church, that's a lie. That's one of the greatest lies that Satan has put into this world. And here is what is most true. Nothing can compare with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Nothing. That is the prize. That is the vision of life that God has created us for. And do you know why the things of this earth can't satisfy you? It's because our citizenship is in heaven. That's what Paul tells us in verse 20. He contrasts those whose minds are set on earthly things, but then he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's what defines our identity. We are children of the creator of all things, who's over all things, over the earth. We're destined for the new heavens and new earth. We're accepted and approved and marked as citizens of another place. So that means we're foreigners in this land. So the values of this land of materialism and consumerism and the black hole of more, 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 strive, 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 just seek after affirmation, those things are not how you were created to be. The things of this, were, the things of this earth were never meant to satisfy you, and so they can't. Only Christ can. Only knowing Christ in all aspects of our lives, totally surrendering to him as our Lord and Savior, only that can. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so friends, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day he wants to know you and walk with you and live with you. So Paul here, he presents two different visions for life, but they're not equal in value. 
I have terrible eyesight. Uh, I really can't see anything without my contacts or glasses. Everything is blurry. You know, people, whenever they say they have bad eyesight, I'm like, oh, try me. I'm sure my eyes are worse than yours. You know, Jeff's not allowed to move anything in the shower because I know the order of the soaps and the shampoos. And if anything gets moved, I have to pick up the shampoo bottle and be like, okay, that's shampoo. Like, that's how I can see. So I have vision. It's just not very satisfactory. And I don't want to go through my life that way because everything is confusing and blurry and I'm anxious and fearful. One year early on in our marriage, Jeff decided he wanted to buy me nice sunglasses. And so he thought that this was a good idea, that he, he grabbed my regular glasses and put my sunglasses there. So when I woke up, I'd put on my sunglasses and he thought I would love that. But I was terrified because I couldn't see anything. <laughs> he will never make that mistake again. Again, see, I, 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 can, I have vision. It's just, it's not how I want to live life. But when I put my contacts in, everything opens up. I see the world as I was meant to see it, and it's beautiful and it's magnificent. See, that's true of the vision for our lives as well. We're presented with two different visions, but they're not equal in value. One of them is to know Christ as the prize of life, to live as citizens of heaven, to have your longings and desires and purpose met in him. Or the other is to know the things of this world, where our appetites and egos and desires become our gods and we're stuck focusing on earthly things. So we're presented with these options, but, but they're not equal. See, knowing Christ and living for him is better than anything this world has to offer. That is the prize of life. And if that's true, and it is, then Paul's gonna tell us how do we live that out. So let's pick back up in verse 20 and 21. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly await him. That's our posture as David said, today begins the season of Advent. That's the posture of Advent. That's why this season in the church calendar is such a gift for us because it allows us to orient our hearts to eagerly await our Savior. He has come once in the incarnation, but we long for him to come again to make all things right. We long for him. Now, there's a lot in this, this month of December that we eagerly await. Putting up Christmas lights, listening to nostalgic music, putting up our Christmas tree. We did that this weekend, and as we're opening up the ornaments, the kids are so excited, but where's this one, and where's this one as we put them on the tree? We're eagerly awaiting our parents or friends or kids opening the gifts that we have found for them. And those are sweet things in this season. But how much more, the, the things of this earth that we eagerly await, how much more should we eagerly await for Christ? Because our deepest longings, our restless hearts, will only be satisfied in knowing Jesus. So we take this posture of eagerly awaiting Christ to come again, to make all things right. And so I ask you, what do you need to do in this time to orient your heart to him? Maybe you need to take stock of your heart and say, where have I grasped under that, under that lesser vision? Or I thought that the things of this world could satisfy me. And you need to repent and turn back to Jesus. Maybe you just need to carve out time to be with Jesus. How can we know Christ? How can we hear his voice if we're not with him? God speaks to us through his word. We need to be with him and listen. So our posture as we live out knowing Christ is eagerly awaiting him. 
And Paul's going to then tell us, there's lots of ways to do that, but I think he gives us two for us to hold on to today of how. And we hold on to hope, and we wait patiently for him. It says, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What an incredible promise. Christ can and will do a work of transformation in our lives and in our world. That is the hope that we carry with us in all parts of life. So whatever you're going through, whether it's relational brokenness or a devastating diagnosis or depression or anxiety, disappointment, loneliness, fear, Christ has the power to transform it. He can and he will. And so we hold on to hope as we eagerly await him. And we also wait with patience. I think this is an important word for us today because patience is not something that we practice well. We wanna see instant transformation, instant redemption, whatever challenge we're facing, instant answer to our prayers. But we're called to wait patiently. Ask the spirit who's with you to help you in your waiting. Christ has the power to bring everything under his control and he will bring transformation in your life. He will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. He will bring redemption in your brokenness. He will work for good for those who love him. He will bring beauty from ashes. These are promises that we hold on to. As we eagerly await Christ, we do it with holding on to hope and we wait with patience. That's our posture in this season of Advent. Church, knowing Christ is the greatest vision for your life. It's not the easiest. It's not the most glamorous. It's probably not going to give you fame or recognition, but it's the most satisfying. It's what you were created for. It's the only thing to give you hope and meaning. Nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And my prayer during this Advent season is that we would be marked with this posture of longing to know Christ as we eagerly await Him. Let's pray. Thank you.